Hi, this is Pastor Emily McGinley from Urban Village Church, Hyde Park, Woodlawn. If you've been to UVC, you'll know that we seek to be three things, bold, inclusive, and relevant. We know that there are countless folks across the country and out there in podcast land like yourself, seeking a message that will bring insight, hope, encouragement, and joy as we do this thing called faith. Please consider making a financial gift to help us with this work of inspiring, equipping, and sending out agents of gospel life and inclusive love. Just go to www.urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks for listening, and God bless. Our passage this morning comes from Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 10. Listen for, listen for what God is saying to you. All the ta- tax collectors are, and sins were gathering around Jesus to listen to him. The Pharisees and le- legal experts were grumbling, saying, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Jesus told them this parable. Suppose someone among you had 100 sheep and lost one of them. Wouldn't, you leave, wouldn't he leave the other 99 in a pasture and search for the lost one until he finds it? And when he finds it, he thrilled and places it on his shoulders. When he arrives home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Celebrate with me, because I found my lost sheep. In the same way, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who changes both heart and life than over 99 righteous people who have no need to change their hearts and lives. Or what women, if she owns ten silver coins or loses one of them, won't light a lamp and sweep the house, searching her home carefully until she finds it. When she finds it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Celebrate with me, because I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, joy breaks out in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who changes both heart and life. May God add a blessing to the hearing and understanding of this scripture. So some of you know that I was, uh, I've been kind of out of commission for the last uh, week or so, recovering from um, an ear surgery. Um, and uh, I'm, I'll get the packing taken out uh, tomorrow, so that'll be kind of the moment of truth to see if it, it really worked. But um, as someone pointed out to me, um, now I have uh, some really great things to add to that, uh, the game Two Truths and a Lie, um, that I have a prosthetic bone. Um, but thank you for all of you who uh, held me in prayer, for those of you who brought meals, who checked in, um, and just helping me to um, know that, uh, that I'm cared for and that I'm loved. So thank you so much. Um, why don't we come together in a word of prayer? God, we give you thanks um, for the gift that it is to come together and to, uh, to worship together, to mourn and grieve together, um, and to celebrate defiantly together as well. We ask that you would be present in this space. We know that you have been, and we ask that you would continue to, and that your spirit would move freely throughout our hearts and minds, opening us up to what it is that you have to say to us this morning, that we might leave this place um, just a little bit uh, more whole, a little bit more hopeful, um, and a little bit more um, strengthened and encouraged to go out and live the lives and be the people that you've created and called us to live and be. We pray this. In the name of your son, Jesus Christ, who showed us the way to do that. Amen. So um, there's a Korean tradition that I learned about um, a few years ago. Uh, So when you get a new job, and especially when you get your first job, um, after you get your first paycheck, you're supposed to take your family out and friends out for dinner. And this is usually a kind of a bigger group. And at first when I heard about this, I thought, what a great gesture, right? 
but then I thought a little bit about it further. Um, often when you're starting a new job, and especially if it's your first job, right, you're kind of like hurting for that paycheck. Um, you've probably put your first and last month rent um, and maybe a, 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 some new furniture on your credit card and your groceries. Um, your student loan repayments are coming due. Um, and maybe you've even had to purchase some like work-appropriate clothing. Um, so all them bills be coming your way, right? And you got to take a gang of people out for dinner. Um, it feels kind of counterintuitive, maybe even a little irresponsible, right? So then why would you do it? Well, you know, so perhaps it's about like showing that you've made it, right? And kind of displaying your newfound success to everyone around you. Or maybe it's about gratitude, right? Giving back to the people who have poured into you. Um, or it could be about sharing joy, right? Gathering people who have loved you and who you love and who know, who kind of gets what it means for you to have gotten to where you are um, and see uh, your success as their success and celebrating with them um, and letting them celebrate with you. Well, when I think about today's passage, um, it's really this kind of last point that comes to mind, this idea that one person's success, or in this case for our scripture today, um, restoration, one person's restoration is also our restoration. We have these really two different stories that somehow um, are about the same thing, this idea of celebrating something that was lost and then recovered and returned and restored to the group. But before I get to that, um, let's take a look around at the room in which these stories are being told. <clears throat> at the beginning of this passage, uh, the author of Luke describes Jesus in a room where all the tax collectors and sinners are gathering to listen, and they're having a meal together. And then in a separate group, um, there are the Pharisees and legal experts who are grumbling about Jesus eating with these sinners. And if we're talking about courses, I'd say that we're dropping in like maybe halfway through the main course, because the beginning of the previous chapter is when the meal got started. And the Pharisees and legal experts are feeling especially salty about Jesus at this point because he's been playing them kind of hard. He caught them up in some um, spirit versus letter of the law logic around whether or not it's okay to heal during the Sabbath. Um, and then he called them out for um, automatically seating themselves at the uh, places of honor at the table. And then he kind of low-key calls them out for being irrelevant and out of touch. And the last line just before this chapter begins is, whoever has ears should pay attention. So who's paying attention? According to the author of Luke, um, at the beginning of this chapter, it's the t sinners and the tax collectors, which is unfortunate. It's understandable, but also unfortunate because the three parables that he shares next, um, and we only read two of them. The third one is the story of the prodigal son, if you're familiar with that. Um, these, these next parables that he shares are not just for the sinners and the tax collectors. They're for everyone and anyone who's willing to hear, including the Pharisees and the legal experts. But it's on them to listen. And like I mentioned, this is all happening over dinner and table fellowship. And I'm going to take a minute to kind of expand on that a little bit. I talked a little bit about the power of table fellowship a few weeks ago, right? How uh, the choice to celebrate and claim joy, even in times of fear and despair, is a powerful way to, um, uh, is a powerful way to defy the voices and messages um, that try to tell you that you have no right to joy. Right? How gathering together to celebrate life uh, and self with joy and abandon uh, in a dining room, at a party, on a dance floor. How these things threaten the very foundations of oppression and hostility. How when we confidently claim joy, we're essentially putting hinges in the hands of those who have tried to shut the doors. Doors to justice, doors to wholeness, doors to new possibility in our faces. 
But there's this other thing about uh, table fellowship that should not be overlooked. Who you choose to eat with matters. And eating with sinners means taking sides. Not so much pro-sinner, anti-Pharisee, just more like pro-everyone. For Jesus, all are welcome, and all means all. The table is for all, and the stories are for all. Whoever has a belly, belly up. Whoever has ears, listen. So let's belly up and listen. These stories share a pattern. Something is lost, it's recovered, and then there's a big party to celebrate, right? Um, Because when you find something that you were terrified you had lost, like your dignity, or your sense of self, or the possibility of finding a place or a community to be your fullest self or or person to love without condemnation, you celebrate and you party. You party hard. And the joy and the pride that you embody inversely match the despair and the shame that you once felt. And so when our LGBTQI and allied siblings gathered in their safe space at a nightclub in Orlando, resurrected in joy and love, having found again their life, their heartbeat, their pulse at pulse, it was a night out, but it was more than a night out. It was a declaration of life and love and joy in spite of everything. There are lots of ways to interpret parables. That's kind of the point of them. (laughs) But like many of you, I've been reflecting on Orlando. And that gives me a particular lens to be looking at these parables through, of course. Because there are these 49 people, right? The victims of hatred, pain, and ugliness. And we've, seen, we've heard some of the stories of these beautiful souls who dared to claim joy, right? There was Juan and Drew who planned to be married but ended up with a joint funeral. There was Brenda Lee Marquez McCool, a mother of 11 children who beat cancer twice and whose final act was to jump in front of a bullet that saved her son, her oldest son, her oldest baby. And there was Eddie Justice, who was texting his mother up to the last few minutes of his death. Mommy, I love you. So many stories. And I wonder, I wondered how many of the 49, for how many of them was this their first time entering a club? A first step toward embracing who they were beyond the shadows of their minds. How many of them had to be talked into or had to talk themselves into believing that it was okay to go, that it was okay, that they were okay? And how many of them had not yet told their parents about the fullness of who they were? That an early morning phone call from the Orlando police was how they found out. And they never had a chance to say, I love you. Or how many parents had not yet worked through their ignorance and pride and cultural upbringing to come around and tell their babies, it's okay. It's okay. It doesn't matter. I love all of you. I'm angry. I'm angry at Omar Karim and Dylan Roof and Adam Lanza. I'm angry about our impotent gun control laws and cowardly leaders who are unwilling to stand up for the lives that they claim they represent. And I'm sick to my stomach 
Are you sick to your stomach about safe spaces and sanctuaries, nightclubs, churches, movie theaters, classrooms, playgrounds, street corners being turned from places of freedom, of liberation, of community and learning and joy into sites of a level of horror and tragedy that just take your breath away? I'm tired. I'm tired of Orlando and Charleston, which we've just marked a year of, and San Bernardino and Virginia Tech and Newton and Aurora and Columbine, and there are so many more, so many more cities and towns to add to that list. I'm tired of racism and homophobia and soft-pedaled bigotry in the name of Jesus. I'm done with being afraid and fearing for others. I feel so done with all of this. But I can't be done. As a citizen, I'm not allowed to be done. There are lots of things I can that we can do and should do. Make phone calls, go to rallies, push for legislative change that not only concerns gun control, but hate control. And when I think about Shane Tomlinson, an R&B artist with a beautiful voice, whose mother said in an interview, he so loved the Lord. When I think about him, and his parents, who in the midst of their grief, have to find a church that will, that will willingly hold his funeral because their church refused. I think about how many of those people, of those 49, of those 50, had not yet been told that God loved them, and not in spite of who they were, but for all of who they were, for the fullness of who they were. And I think about all those nasty pastors speaking death and hate, not just before, but also in the wake, who would dare to speak that in the wake of the shootings. And I think, I think, church, we have got some work to do. We have got some work to do. And we're in this sermon series about inviting people to experience God's love. And maybe when you heard about this series, you were like, ugh, evangelism, not my thing. Well, think again because we're in a race against the clock and in a competition of the loud. Whose voices are people going to hear and how soon will they hear it? The one that says God hates fags? Or the one that says gay or straight, cis or trans, God's love is for you. And here's how we do it. We take a cue from that woman who was searching desperately for her lost coin, right? We light the lamps, who sweep the corners, we search carefully, and we celebrate those who get it. In other words, we get woke. We turn on the lights in our brains and our hearts to know how to search for the folk who are getting hit hardest by the disfigurement of this world. And one of the many tragedies, I think, of Orlando is that it was broken, breaking, broken. It was broken, breaking broken. As a cisgendered Muslim American man living in the South, Kareem looked for a population of people more vulnerable than himself, and he found them. When we get woke to the complex intersections of hate that ends up begetting hate, we begin to see more sharply how the lines of division not only keep us separated, but perpetuate ugliness and violence. So we get woke. And then we get out. Sweeping the corners means getting out of our spaces of comfort and familiarity, stepping out of our tribe to connect across difference, especially among, in this context, uh, for those straight allies who stood up, 
choosing to get out there and connect with people who are also straight but don't know people who are LGBTQI and being a voice in those spaces where you have the privilege to be a voice, to connect across difference even if it's awkward or scary or uncomfortable or potentially embarrassing. Next week, uh, UVC is marching in the Pride Parade, as you all know, um, and we're there because it's a celebration of love and life and all kinds of other things. How many of those folks gathered have never heard that God's love could be for them too? Every year we pass out thousands of flyers. Most of them end up on the ground, <laughs> but a lot of people have seen them. How many of those folks gathered have never heard that God's love could be for them? How many people on the south side, gay, straight, believer, doubter, depressed, lonely, how many people in our corner of the world need to know that they don't have to be alone, that they matter, that they have a purpose, that who they are matters and who they love doesn't matter. And so I would say to you, um, connect with Brandon or Tim or Larry to get involved with outreach efforts that we're making at Hyde Park Woodlawn to let the South Side know in particular what kind of party we've got going on up in here. We get out, but we also get looking. This one isn't complicated, but it does require a level of awareness, right? Look for the people in your life who are hurting. Sometimes hurt is quiet, right? Like the person who doesn't make eye contact, who sits on the edges. Sometimes it's loud, like the hard to love, can't find nothing good to say about nobody person. And for us, um, that, like I said, it means speaking truth and love to those who are speaking ignorance and bigotry. Find these people. And as God leads, be a kind word, a friendly presence, an invitation to love. And in that weird kind of God math way when we do this, we find that we're not just the sheep who have been found being cared for, but we also somehow become the shepherd as well. And finally, we get together. Did you know that the church, by and large, does not do private baptisms? And do you know why? because it's a celebration for the whole community. And do you know why we gather around the communion table? Because it's a celebration for the whole community. And do you know why we gather together on Sunday mornings? I hope you're kind of picking up the pattern, right? Because it's a celebration for the whole community. These celebrations encourage us to keep going, even when we're just about ready to give up. That's what a place like Pulse was about for a lot of folks, right? A group of folks who, for at least one place in their life, did not have to be the odd one out, who could be in a place where they could gather with others to experience love and welcome and belonging, to be encouraged. And when we're encouraged, we're strengthened. And when the 99 are strengthened, you know I just can't help myself, right? The enemy realizes that they've got 99 problems, but a lost soul ain't one of them. And of course, you know, these, we, we saw this, uh, we, we know that, the, that this celebration is not just for us, for the 99, so to, so to speak, right? But they're also for the one, because the one needs to know that they are worth celebrating. That someone saw them and told them that they were worthy and lovable and loved. I think back to Tara's testimony on Easter Sunday, and that's when we heard that as well, right? that her whole self could be loved 
not just out of her own sense of claiming to uh, live into her full identity, but that God could love her too. And you know, she said, where did she hear that? Where did she experience that? It was in this community. So we get woke, we get out, we get looking, we get together. We can't wait till we've got all of our stuff figured out, right? We can't wait till our third or fourth paycheck to take folk out. We need to get to getting right now. There are too many people on the edge of spiraling out. Too many scared folk who now fear places that were once safe havens. We have to be those hands and feet, those hearts, extending invitations saying, you are safe here. You are safe with me. We are safe together, tossing out invitations of love and belonging and ridiculous celebration of life for anyone and everyone. Because we're just running too close to the clock on this, right? We need to work smarter and we need to party harder. And if we're going to get ahead of it, then we have to do that together. We don't need just one shepherd out there gathering folk one by one. Each of us, even the broken ones of us, which is basically all of us, right? Each one of us needs to be out there getting woke, getting out, getting looking, picking up broken and lost hearts and handing them invitations of love to get together for love and wholeness of life at God's house party. Friends, this is not optional. Because if we don't do this, if the church doesn't do this, it's not just the one who was lost. We are lost too. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks that somewhere along the way, someone picked us up, dusted up, off, and said, you're worth love. And so we ask that even sometimes when we're still feeling a little dusty, that the, the bruise that formed from our falling isn't completely healed. We ask, God, that you would help us to get outside of ourselves enough to be able to help pick someone else up as well. Help us to be safe people, not just in our minds and in our imaginations, but in our activities and our actions. Help us to let this world and at least let this city know that your love is for everyone and not just for some. Grant us the imagination, the courage, and the joy to go out and invite people to your party. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.